TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Mmm. Good morning, my brethren and sisterin of Buffalo, New York. Welcome to Sports Talk Saturday. Nate Geary. In my normal slot position here at uh, our Duntire Studios, sitting in the uh, northern quadrant of the building uh, with my good, good pal, Corey Griswold, who we will, you know, uh, work through the next three hours of your day and your weekend uh, talking about sports, life, and John Mayer music, which is what we do here. Um, by the way, so I'll start the morning by telling you a little bit about how my morning started, which... You know, I know people like to, they they like to humanize me, you know, because I'm 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 often seen as this this you know, you just this Twitter this uh, he's just a personality. This he has freak. not a real. He's right. He's freak. He, this, he's this freak of nature in, his, in this glass box of his microphone. That's all he is. Um, this disgusting this, person, right, terrible human being, who can't be allowed in public. No, and you know he smells of rich mahogany and things of that nature. Um, so today, um. What a fun story to tell you. Uh, this morning, I went uh, to my favorite local coffee shop and, and pastry shop. Um, I uh, So just, just a little pretense here. It's around 10, 10 a.m. I live in the city of Buffalo, downtown, Main Street, downtown, downtown. My girlfriend says, I know it's a little late. But what do you say we go, we go get some coffee? And maybe a, maybe a pastry. I said, oh, it's late. And I was like, we need to leave the coffee shop by no later than 1033. I know the time that it takes. I just, I, I've got this thing, you know, mapped out pretty good. So it's 1033 and we step up to be the people in line to order. And I'm like, oh boy, we are flirting with disaster. I had Corey's phone on speed dial. I was going to say, listen, buddy, need you to play a couple more breaks this morning. Had to go get some pastry. Had to go get some coffee. So... Because I won't drink that trash that you have in your hand right now. You're, I won't do it. I'd rather be late for work than drink that trash. My taste buds are shot. Our, your usual arrival time is roughly 10.59, It is. I, I have it mapped out. Right. So, I have it mapped out. You know. um, and by the way, happy Juneteenth. Thank you for uh, for reminding the folks on Twitter, Corey. And um, so anyways, I'm in line. I order my... <laughs> My my cold brew that is mixed with chocolate milk, which is one of the finest things ever made. And the fact I just had my doctor's appointment, and uh, this is a separate story that's going to lead back into this story. But my doctor uh, during my physical said, "Oh, Nate, good to see you. You know, how, how's things? Oh, I got coronavirus. Oh, you got the vaccine. Blah blah blah. Oh, it looks like you gained a little weight from the last time you came in. Why? And I was well. Here's the thing: I lost last time I saw him. I had just lost thirty five pounds. That's good. So he's like, "Oh wow, Nate. When I came in last time, he's like." 
like, holy cow, you lost a lot of weight, man. They're like, how'd you do it? He's like, did you do it safely? Blah, blah, blah. Of course. Yeah. And he's like, I got a terrible communicable disease. That's, that's what happened well, to me. Yeah, that's right. Well, What's and, up? And he says, uh, well, you know, good job losing that weight. And then I came back in uh, on Wednesday and he said, whoa, he's like, you, you, gained, you, you gained some of that weight back. And he's like, you know, what have you been doing? I'm like, well, you know, I've been drinking cold brew coffee with chocolate milk in it. Uh, oh, okay. I guess that's why. Uh, that 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 makes sense. That you've gained so, half of that weight back. Um, but anyway, so that that's the funny story about my 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 chocolate coffee. Um, and then you know I'm in line and I get. They say to me, Nate, you've ordered five pastries. If you get another one, it's free. You just might as well get it. I, I that is not the type of. Like it's not the type of narrative I want to just completely ignore. So I decided. Give me the sixth pastry, and on my way in, I ate, uh, I gave my girlfriend two, dropped her off, rushed here. I got here earlier than I normally do. I don't know how I did it. I sped. That's why. That's I, I, I drove quickly. Um, and I ate three pastries on the way in. I had a two crullers and a brioche strawberry cream filled donut, and it was one of the greatest things I have ever had in my life. Good Lord. And I came into the studio. And I said, the first thing I said is I need to pawn this last one off. If I eat this last one, I'm going to feel bad about myself. What's higher? The over-under on receiving yards for Mike Singletary next year mm. or your blood pressure? No question the blood pressure. I mean, I mean the blood pressure is going to be high. And so anyways, so I, I walk into the studio and there's, you know, we're, 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 we're separated by a window and I go into the, uh, into the booth and I say, Corey, I've got this last piece of unbelievable, you know, crueler donut and it's got caramel and salt on it, sea salt. It's fantastic and I want it. But if I don't give it to someone, then I'm going to have a heart attack. Uh, Corey declined against my own better health. Again, the aforementioned heart attack. Um, and lucky for you, you happen to work at a radio station where if you leave out mm. um, food in open air yes. environment, you give it a couple of minutes. Open it up, mm -hmm. put a fan near it, and allow the sense to waft into the studio. That's and someone in, there's a bunch of people that just kind of like walk out of the state out of the studios like almost like zombie like like seagulls at the ballpark. And they're they're kind of walking in almost like a, a weird like Michael Jackson thriller type situation. Yep. They're like, where's mm -hmm. the food? Absolutely. Where's the food? And I, I was able to pawn it off in 0.5 seconds, luckily. Um, so I did not have four pastries this morning. It was just three, which leads me to my next guest, who would have likely, unlike Corey, taken the pastry off of my hands. And joining me on the Western Hotline is Joe DiBiase. He's the host of the Nightcap, and he is our afternoon show producer. And he's also uh, the host of Locked on Sabres, which is the context of which I'm bringing Joe in. So good morning, Joe. And you don't have to tell me. I know you would have eaten the salted caramel cruller if had I given it to you. I probably would have. I'm doing a little health kick here recently, though. So if it was in the last two weeks, I actually might not have. You know what? I'm with you, though, by the way, with a couple of things that I heard in the course of the last minute or so. One, Corey referring to Devin Singletary as Mike Singletary. Yes. Total old man move. Oh, my God. From 40 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, the guy and who's also, got the Steely Dan bumps. And he's the one that's got these. He's in a he's in a healthcare commercial, like a some random commercial that he's in now. And, uh, oh my god! <laughs> I, 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 bury Joe, me at sea, Joe. The best thing is I didn't even pick up on it. Yeah, no, I I heard that immediately. I'm like, wow, that's such a Corey old <laughs> right here between all the the youngsters here. Um, and then the other thing is, I'm with you. I like man, since I've been, my girlfriend introduced me to Star Starbucks like in the last six months. 
I can't drink anything else. It's a bad thing, like, for my wallet, but yes. I, mean, I can't drink anything else at this point. Yeah, and, you know, I, I have found that uh, drinking coffee is the only thing that makes me feel alive anymore. So it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a tough proposition. So listen, I brought you on to talk Sabres, but we're going to talk about, like, 50 different things because 50 different things have happened. And uh, obviously yesterday, first and foremost, and I, I'm going to end the interview by asking you uh, your reviews of the new John Mayer song, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, the whole stadium situation is where I wanted to start with you. So we'll talk about this for a couple minutes, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get into some of the talk that I wanted to about the Sabres. So um, the stadium situation, Joe, the, the mm-hmm. rumor is, the reports are that the intention is to remain in Orchard Park. Before I dive any deeper, the decision to stay in Orchard Park, your thoughts? I, on the surface, it sounds good to me, but that is somebody that, yes, used to have season tickets to the game. And I always, I kind of bias in that, like, I grew up, like, right next to the stadium. So I always loved that it was in Orchard Park. I love the kind of the area around it because it's kind of my home. It's my area. Um, now, I think I, I do see some of the arguments that other people are making as to why, why wouldn't you be putting it downtown? Why wouldn't you be putting it here or here? And I think that there are some valid arguments for why they, why they would do that. And it is a little strange to me. It's a little odd to me that you would rebuild the stadium in all essence, build a newer version of it, open air, everything, kind of in the same spot that it currently is. Because then my inclination would be, okay, well, why don't you just pour a bunch of more money into uh, renovations, maybe even go further than you have so far. But I don't know, man, it just seems like the, the league does not treat the stadium the same way they treat other historic stadiums that have been around as long, like, Soldier Field and Lambeau have been around longer, but like even Arrowhead, like those stadiums are kind of staples of the league, it seems. And I just don't think the league treats the Bill Stadium as such. And I think that actually matters because I think the owners, it's, it's a sad reality. Like if, if Jerry Jones and Roger Goodell and the Pagulas want a new stadium and they want it, you know, wherever they want it and the fans disagree, well, I think it's still kind of going to end up uh, where ownership wants it. So. The fact that it's an Orchard Park, I guess I'm okay with it. I like it, but that's coming from a pretty biased perspective as someone that grew up in Orchard Park. Yeah, I mean, as as a Hamburg guy, I agree. There is something, there's something great about the town of Orchard Park and the setup and <clears throat> the private lots for parking. Yeah. And what makes Buffalo Tailgate so unique is that there right, are sort tailgating. of yeah, it's the uncharted, unregulated part of the tailgate that I think is maybe most is maybe what people most associate. With. So for me, I find it interesting that the Pagulas would, just based on the things that I've heard from A, the county, uh, B, uh, the, the ownership group of, about wanting a little bit more control over the tailgates around the stadium, it is a surprise to me that they are determining let's stay here where we still probably won't really be able to get the grip we want to have on some of the antics. Now, I recognize it's like 10% of the people that they're talking about that they'd like to feel like they have a little bit more control over. But at the end of the day, if you move the, if you move the stadium downtown, you don't have that anymore. You don't have private lots. You don't have people who own backyards that are closed off to you know police and people that can regulate. So I, I guess that that's like your trade-off. Do you want to have that regulation of your fans in the tailgate situation, or are we going status quo? And if the decision is to go status quo, I think that there's going to be more things like we've seen over the last couple of years prior to 2020, which is like creating that tailgate village and like trying to yeah. – I don't know, trying to create a little bit more of a family-friendly environment in these games, which is going to be hard to do. But I, the the next part of this question, Joe, is 
it, from the sounds of it, they want to keep the outdoor element of the stadium. And I couldn't disagree more with the decision to do it. Now, maybe the decision is really just as much as this, Joe. It's the retractable dome costs another $250 million, and we're trying to keep this project mm-hmm. under a billion, and we don't believe that's viable. And part of what we love about this town, this city, this field is that the elements come into play in December. Um, I think without the retractable, they'd be missing. I I guess my question to you is, should they be thinking about the team they've just built and how they're winning Mm. and how they build their next stadium? Or is that just me being naive? I, I don't think they should think about the current construct of the team. No, because I mean, really, the two of the the best two Bills teams ever were high volume passing offense, early nineties. And right now, so they did that in an open-air stadium. Plenty of teams do that. Tom Brady did what he did for 20 years in Boston, Massachusetts, in the elements. So I, I don't think they should consider that. But when it comes to a multi-use facility, the, I, do, I like the idea of a retractable roof because if you want to have concerts, if you want to have other events, anywhere between the months of October and February, you need to have that. Otherwise, the stadium is just going to be basically football again for six months of the year, and then you'll get all your other events in the summer, which that can be okay because, you know, they've done a little of that even in the past couple of years at the stadium. Um, but I think if it came down to dome, if like kind of what you're saying, if retractable roof is going to put the dollar figure too high to, to make it work here, then I think I'm down with the open-air stadium over a dome. I don't want to lose that element if it came down to one or the other because, man, when it's just – it's not even about the winter months for me. I'm one that doesn't mind the winter games when it's snowing. When it rains, I mean, I could, couldn't – I don't want that at all. Don't get me wrong. When it's cold and rainy, that's the worst. But, man, when it is just – it's nice out. It's 70 and sunny, early September, uh, even into October, shorts and hoodie weather. Um, I mean, th- that's hard to beat for me. So I don't want to lose that element of it. And to me, if it came down to dome versus open air, I'd want open air. Joe DiBiase at Sneaky Joe uh, here on the Western Hotline. uh, Sneaky Joe Sports, that's right, that's right. Um, Here on the Western Hotline Sports Talk Saturday, starting off the show. And the reason that I originally brought Joe was not to talk about the stadium, but the stadium stuff came about kind of late yesterday. um, And and, and I I, I would be remiss not to talk about it a little bit to start the show. So I I brought Joe on because I wanted to talk, and I mentioned um, in my intro that Joe is the host on Locked on Sabres, or for Locked on Sabres, the podcast you can follow at Locked on Sabres on Twitter. And um, this week, you have sort of been a, uh, a content machine in terms of Sabres content, which they've given you plenty of ammunition for, yeah. Joe. So um, I there, there's a couple areas I want to start with you um, with this topic. And I think the place I want to start is where I was sort of getting to this place yesterday morning when I filled in for Howard and was on with Jeremy. And the idea of the of the Sabres really kind of going all in on this draft. And, you know, I know I, I, I've i seen some stuff from you kind of talking about, hey, maybe one of the best ways to really rebuild and restock the cupboards here is, you know, trying to trade Reinhardt and Eichel and somehow acquire the second overall from Seattle and, and get that third overall from Anaheim and have one, two, three, and really just rebuild your franchise with the first three picks of the draft. And I think in theory and in principle, the idea sounds sound, and it's really not that crazy of an idea. Like, it's not some pipe dream thing. Like, I think mm-hmm. it could totally... Totally happen. The thing that I worry about is less about it. I, I want to make sure I go on record as saying I am not one of those people that say this is the worst draft in the last 20 years. Why would you want that? I, I don't agree with that narrative. I agree that it's the least 
there are there are fewer resources to go on in this draft than maybe any draft ever. I, I, that is an actual, I think, statement of fact. Um, yeah. But more so, Joe, this is an organization with the slimmest and leanest scouting staff in all of hockey. In all of hockey, their general yeah. manager is going on his second draft ever in an NHL front office. I get they brought Karamanos, so they have somebody who's done it before. But I just don't really trust this team to have that sort of. Uh, I don't know. Con- that's like a really consequential year. Like you are, you're talking yeah. about maybe the most important off season in the in the franchise's history, and you are putting it in the hands of a guy who has one draft under his belt. I, I completely understand that because there is there's no tangible reason right now to look at what they have in the front office and trust them to do the draft right. But I think, and, and that goes back even before this this uh, front office, by the way, because yep, agreed. their drafting has been awful yep. for 10 years. Which really is why, and Joe, this is why the cupboards are so bare right now. It's not because right. they're going out and, and trading all of their top prospects for NHL players. It's literally because all of the <laughs> their prospects have not right. panned out for the most part. No, that's right. The last time they had prospects that panned out, they were Darcy picks, and Tim Murray spun them into Vander Kane, Ryan O'Reilly, right. all the other guys that he brought in. So, and, and that's that's but the thing to me that I want to differentiate between the the early draft and the later draft success is we have seen the Sabres draft one guy past the first round that's really that's played 82 games for them in the last eight years since Darcy left, and that's Victor Olsson. It's the only guy past round one yep. that's played over a season for them, and I think that is where I'm more worried about the current scouting staff. It's okay when it when the draft gets hard. When you've got to pick guys out that other people, you know, might have two rounds later that you might be re- feel like you're reaching on a little bit, but you know enough about him and you've got a good enough intel on him to think, okay, this guy could become something. That to me becomes more difficult once you get later in the draft, and that's where I really don't trust yeah. what the Sabers have right now in their front office. Man, I think picking one, two, three, you get those high picks. That's easy. Me and you could do that. Yeah, you I don't agree. Pick up Bob McKenzie's <laughs> draft rankings. Yeah. And just go, well, I guess everyone's saying Owen Power is the first pick. I don't need to watch Owen Power play. And I could be with everybody else and knowing, okay, he's the first overall pick. And to me, that is why I want the Sabres to grab these top picks. It, it's kind of going towards what you're saying that, no, you're right. I don't trust what they have right now in terms of scouting and in the, in the general manager position and in their front office. But part of my lack of trust for them is why I want them picking at the top where it is harder to miss on those top players. And this draft, this could be the draft where you do miss on those top players. Maybe this is going towards uh, the other part of your point where go for guys that are already prospects in the league over the picks because there is no generational guy. There is no Matthews. There's no McDavid. There's no Eichel. There's no Dahlin even. There's There's a bunch of guys that, you know, would probably be top five picks in other years. But it's a little bit of a challenge, but I think because, um, I think because it's easier to pick at the top, that's why I want the, the Reinhardt idea for me is just get Seattle to give you the second overall pick. I think it does make some sense on both sides. The Kraken, I, I don't. Well, it depends what they think. Can they think they could be Vegas? I think that's nuts. Yeah, I, I do think too. Vegas was an anomaly. Yep, agreed. But Ron Francis, their general manager, who came from Carolina, I mean, man, he might really think he can do that. If he thinks he can replicate Vegas, then yeah, maybe they would trade two for Sam Reinhardt. Because um, at the end of the day, the guy right now, Matthew Beneers, who's probably going to yep. go second, I think Seattle would probably tell you they would take 
him being Sam Reinhardt. Yeah. So that trade to me makes sense. And then we've all heard about the, the Anaheim Eichel rumors uh, that three could be in play there. So let's talk about Anaheim as I think a legitimate target for the Sabres. And, and the, the idea, this idea kind of popped up on our show yesterday too, Joe, which is, you know, if the Sabres really are sort of hell bent on sending Eichel out West, like they don't really want to deal with the potential of him being individual in division, which by the way, I'm kind of all about. Um, and it's not really mm-hmm. about like, like, reveling and Jack Eichel going to somewhere to fail. It's more so not wanting to watch the Ryan O'Reilly situation play out a second time, right? Like, I, that that's what I think I'm most concerned about. But make it make sense why the Anaheim Ducks would be the smart team to go after Jack Eichel. Because aren't they just the Sabres, but they're out west? You're, you're looking for me to make a stand, uh, argument why the Ducks should do Why it? the Ducks should even consider trading I- for Jack Eichel. I think and I don't think there is a good reason for it. I actually think if they do it, they're kind of delusional into thinking that they're still good. But that's kind of what we're hearing. I mean, I've heard Greg Wyshynski talk about this from ESPN. Friedman has talked about it. Jeff Merrick, a couple of the guys from Sportsnet. I feel like every time, the, especially at the beginnings of when the Ducks were being mentioned with Eichel, everyone was like, yeah, Bob Murray, like he thinks he's a couple pieces away from being right back in it as a contender. And all the power to him. I don't think they are. I think if they acquire Jack Eichel, they're still a bottom five, bottom ten team in the league. Um, so I don't know if there is a great case for them. I, th- I guess the, the best case to be made was just this is a player that does not become available, and that's the argument to be made for why anybody sure. should be in on Jack Eichel because Eichel don't become available. John Severus hit free agency, but he was five years older than Eichel was. Um, so I, I just think because of the rarity of the player, I guess that's the best I can do. That you know, if you're the Ducks. And you know what? I, I could make one more case for it, even though I don't agree with it, and this is not the way I would be treating it if I were them. Their core group is like this is like this is you want to take one more run at it. Cam Fowler is 29 years old. Josh Manson is 29 years old. Those are your best two defensemen. Jacob Silverberg, your best forward. Ricard Raquel, 30 years old and 28 years old. Um, Getzlaff is off their books, but you've got a lot of guys that are in the prime of their careers, but are about to really exit the prime of their careers. And they might think that Jack Eichel could squeeze the, the last little bit of contention out of them. Joe, let's grab a call because DJ in Lockport's calling in and wants to give uh, give a thought here on the Sabres. DJ, uh, you're on with Nate and Joe on Sports Talk Saturday. What do you got for us, man? Gentlemen, what's going on? Nothing much, man. So, Good morning. Um, first, first, just to touch with the, the Murray thing, I, I personally feel like he's going to go after Eichel because the guy has a track record. He's a, he's a known GM in this league, and in his mind – this turnover thing, but one league, one year to the next could easily happen if they went and got Jack Eichel. They could easily be that next team that goes bottom to top again. It happens every year. I think we all know that. But my, my call was about Chris Taylor. The, the fact that you guys are talking, it made that point about Olsen. That alone itself shows me that, that them firing that whole department was a good idea. I, you know, the, the, the cesspool that is Sabres Twitter, there's a narrative <laughs> going on, obviously. I just kind of died out since, but that somehow that was a, a cheap way to go, whatever. I, I think that was the good move, the right move. Every time Chris Taylor went up against somebody in the playoffs after winning a bunch of with older AHL guys, he was lambasted by Sheldon Keefe, and I think they lost to uh, – there was a couple of times he's lost, I think twice with Sheldon Keefe. But my point is is that there was this narrative going on that somehow Chris Taylor was a good coach and he was ready to take over this team, but he won with a bunch of older AHL guys and then – what what players came out of this organization from his tutelage that did anything in this team? Not nobody. And it was Olsen who was what twenty four at the time, if I'm not mistaken, when he was drafted, and he was already a known player. 
So, like, it was six-rounder on top of it. So my point, point for the call is that I think it was the right move, and you were making the point earlier. I wanted to call in and touch base with you about it because I, I feel like that's something that a lot of Sabres fans need to hear. Is like them firing Chris Taylor was a good move. They did nothing for an organization. They won some games with some older guys, but then when the time come to win playoff games, they literally did not win one of them the whole time he was a coach. So I'll hang up and listen, and uh, take care, guys. Have yeah, a thanks day. for the call, DJ. And I think the other important point, that, and maybe the point you, you kind of touched on during your, um, during your conversation there, but maybe I think was the important part, is talking about the age of the players that Chris Taylor was working with. And I think a big part of mm-hmm. the issues this team has right now is that your AHL team was built in one of the worst galaxy-brained ways I have ever seen in AHL. A, a feeder right. team was built to win AHL hockey games by Jason Bottrell. Like, when Jason Bottrell came right. here, the first thing, Joe, what did he say? The first thing, we are going to be competitive at the AHL level. We need to get Randy Sexton. We need to get all these all these pieces. We need to bring in 34 washed-out uh, NHL players, 34-year-old, 35-year-old washed-out players, and we are going to be competitive in the AHL and not be a team that's developing talent. And right then and there, we should have ran for the fence. We, we should have just we should have ran as far away from that, from that. It was like his opening press conference he said that, Joe. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think it was it was almost artificial. Right. The success that they had in the AHL because it didn't. It also didn't I, matter. Yeah. And like to me, like in like, sorry to say this, like the Rochester fans, but uh, or anyone listening to Rochester, but like the way I would measure AHL success is by how many players go through there and make it to the NHL and make it as impact players in the NHL. You can have all the wins you want with the Amherst. But if you don't have a single player come out of there and impact your NHL club, do you have a successful farm system? And I think the answer to that question would be no. I don't know about the Chris Taylor thing. I think he gets a lot of credit, and I'm not always the one to give it to him because I don't really know. I don't think I have a good idea of what Chris Taylor is as a developer because in the last, again, three, four, five years, how many guys have gone through Rochester and have become impact players in the NHL? I think the only one is Victor Olofsson, and I would argue Victor Olsson is the exact same player that he was when he arrived in North America. He has an elite shot, and he really doesn't have much else. So what did he really develop while during his time in Rochester? So to me, I, I think the, the way that they treated the, the farm system, um, yeah, it's not the way I would have gone about it. And just quickly on the, the Bob Murray-Anaheim Ducks point, you can make that case for anybody. That, oh, well, it's the NHL. Anybody can go from last to first. Sure, that doesn't mean that you should trade for Jack Eichel, though, if, uh, if dependent on where you are in your organizational timeline. All right, last thing for you, Joe. If you, and, and maybe this is a loaded question, and maybe, I, I don't know where you stand on, like, how involved the Kings are going to be during this process. It's, it's yeah. kind of, like, they've sort of been trying to push people away from the scent that they're interested at all. In fact, like, you know, you hear people coming out and saying the Kings are not going to be at all in on a Jack Eichel. And then you see people in the know kind of say, yeah, I think that's them just, you know, posturing a bit. Um Outside of the Kings, let's say it's Anaheim, let's say it's Carolina, is there a prospect in your mind that makes the most sense for this organization to say, if we're going to get rid of Jack Eichel, this needs to be the guy that we use as a centerpiece moving forward and could be a guy that maybe it will never be Jack Eichel, but can have maybe a a similar presence in in the lineup each night? Yeah, I think I want to look to the Rangers again with Alexis Lafreniere. But I just don't know. I mean, you had the report of, what, a couple months ago 
that they weren't willing to include him in any offer last year. So maybe things could change. But the, com- the combination of the Rangers once upon a time not being willing to send Lafreniere to, to Buffalo for Eichel and also Friedman saying this week that any Eastern team will have to pay a premium uh, for Jack Eichel, to me is uh, a, a red flag towards the Rangers getting him. I, I kind of look at Columbus. I look at Columbus as a, com- a combination of the the picks and the prospects, and they're not really considered, I think, one of the, the likelier, or one of the favorites, at least, that we're hearing a lot mentioned for Eichel. But they'll have the motivation to do it. They need center, and they want to still be competitive. They have the fifth overall pick. They have the 24th overall pick. They have the 31st overall pick. And they are almost for sure, I think, going to end up with another first-round pick when they inevitably trade Seth Jones. Now, the, the thing about the prospects with Columbus is, Yarmo Kekalainen, their general manager, has been drafting a lot of Russian prospects in the past couple of years. In fact, the last time I looked at a prospect ranking from Columbus, three of the top four guys were Russian players. And, man, I, I hope the Sabres can get over this stigma they seem to have when, with Russian guys in that like, they, just, they never go near them. They, don't, they never draft them. They never have them in the organization. And it sounds like they don't even have a – I don't think they have a scout listed that covers the, you know, the KHL or the Russian juniors over there. So, like, Kirill Marchenko is their top prospect, um, who is a center, who was really good in the KHL last year for St. Petersburg. Like, would the Sabres be willing to take him on? Or would they say no because, you know, like, it is, it is a risk. I'm not saying it's not a risk. Kirill Kaprizov, there's a report yesterday after having an insane first year in Minnesota, he might be going back to the KHL. So it is risky, but... To me, if the level of player is good enough and you have the combination of him with the Blue Jackets having the fifth overall pick only two spots behind Anaheim, plus they could have as many as three additional yeah. first-round picks that you could play around with, I think the Blue Jackets are a good dark horse team to look at right now. Yeah, especially, too, for for Sam Reinhart. There's been a lot of talk um, about Columbus's interest in Sam Reinhart, which I, you know, frankly, I would feel bad for either player if that was their fate going to Columbus because it's really just, like, Basically, yeah. Buffalo least, with a different shade of blue. At least Tortorella's not there. Anyway. Right, yeah. I mean, that, that that's a win for hockey in general. Um, Joe, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate you hopping on with me. I know you got a busy week normally, so uh, for, thanks for making some time and talking. And uh, we will uh, we'll be talking soon, man. We got we've got Bills pregame like not that far from yep. now. So we we don't. And then real quick, John Mayer hot take. Mayer yes! Moore should have been in that entire. Yes, that's my hot take. Yes, that's that's a great. By the way, fantastic take. I totally agree with you. Um, all right, yep. buddy. Appreciate you. Enjoy your weekend. All right, thanks, Nate. You awesome. Too. Joe DiBiase there on the Western Hotline. Going to take a time out. Marcel Louis Jacques ESPN joins us next here on WGR. Now, it's so easy to listen to WGR Sports Radio 550 in any room in your house. Simply ask your smart speaker to play WGR 550. <clears throat> All right, good morning. Welcome back. Halfway through hour one, bringing you our next guest on the program. Joining me on the Western Hotline is ESPN's Marcel Louis-Jacques. Good morning, Marcel. Um, I had um, I had four pastry donuts this morning. Yeah, I almost went out, went over to uh, to public to grab one of those strawberry. Yeah, they were uh, gone. Me and Leanna got the last like five. So oh, tight, tight. That's that just <laughs> seems like a that, that seems like a recurring thing. You, you seems like a me my, move, huh? Intro properly. The, the proper in, intro would have been Marcel Louis-Jacques graciously blessing us with his time after I neglected to invite him to anything I've gone over the past two weeks. That would have been a proper intro, 
But, uh, you know, it's okay. It's okay. We're, we're getting past it. We're friends here. Everything's okay. Yeah, and you know, listen, at the end of the day, I, I like to think that whenever there's a fried chicken sandwich involved, that you, you are the one consistent in my life with fried chicken sandwiches. So take that for what it's worth, right, man? Yeah, I mean, whatever's going to help me sleep at night, I'm, I'm going to try. Whatever, whatever, but, uh, that's right. Whatever helps you put your head down on that pillow every night. You know, I feel, I feel pretty neglected here. Well, you know what? You know what won't make you feel neglected is talking about the Bills because it's they haven't really been giving us much to talk about for the better part of forty eight hours or anything. So, um, where I'm where I want to start with you uh, is OTAs because I think that's the important place to start because uh, nothing else happened outside of OTAs. Um, and uh, you know, one of the tweets you had earlier in the week was talking about the defense, right? Um, and some of the things you were noticing while you were at practice. Obviously, there's parts of practices you can't film. Um, you know, the team portion, those are the things that I think maybe a lot of your takes earlier in the week about the defense were coming from. So help us visualize, help us understand a little bit of some of the things you saw from the defense this week that that maybe, you know, I know this time of year defenses are almost always in front or ahead of the offense, but, you know, why do you believe that might be notable this time of year considering where the offense ended and brought everybody back? Yeah, so to paint a picture of how these practices work, and I think I'm within – the rules to to describe it this way they usually start they stretch they go into individual drills so position drills those are the things that we're allowed to to take video of and then they kind of congregate for for team drills and they'll split on each side of the field you know offense on one defense on, on the other and the offense you know very professionally okay come on we're, we're, we're here we're here blah 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 uh, this is i can't say exactly what they say but the defense there is, I mean, they huddle up as a as an entirety. They're loud. They're cheering. It's energetic. Like, they're ready to go. It's like, uh, you know, it, it, it's like watching a, a, a high school team come out for, for a homecoming game, almost. Like, that level of, of intensity and energy. And they bring it every single play. Every time they make a play, they uh, incomplete pass. Entire defense is cheering. Turnover. Entire defense is cheering and running down the field with whoever's got the ball. I mean, it is it is noticeably different. And, and granted, offense doesn't really thrive on emotion and energy like right. defense does. And, and that is why, you know, if we're we're looking back at the 2020 season. I, I believe it was it was Tre'Davious White who, and and maybe Jordan Poyer, who said, yeah, the the lack of crowd noise impacted them early in the season. Like that is something that they have to get used to. In, in, in their pro career, they've been playing in front of seventy thousand plus every Sunday, every every time they hit the field. Going from that to to just nothing. So on third and short, you've got to manufacture that kind of emotion, and you know it. Not everybody can do it. It sounds easier than than it actually than it actually is. It's probably easier for people who haven't been in that experience. And so I think, as Matt Milano said, it's been kind of a focal point, and uh, you know the the competition the. The, the level of play, the the new guys balling out, he says, have all led to this energy spike in the off season. And I think you know, with obviously with with full crowds back, I, I don't want to sit here and say you know, <laughs> crowds are the reason why this defense is going to be back to normal. But I think with that level of intensity back, especially with nine home games this year, I think we're going to see a, a a return to the mean. A regression back to the mean, or a mm. progression to, to the mean, I guess we should say, from Buffalo's defense. You, uh, I mean, you and all the media members, not just you, um, got an opportunity to talk to Star Latulale this week, um, who made his 
you know, a return, I guess, back to um, what I would call they weren't voluntary. So he decided not to show up to voluntary, but he was here when he had to be. Um, having said that, some of the, I think a lot of people were reading the tea leaves with some of the things that Sean McDermott was saying during those voluntary workouts, which was, yeah, we're a little disappointed. Stars not here, full year off, blah, 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 blah. We, you know, he's, I think he said something along the lines of he's going to have a lot of catching up to do. Your thoughts of, A, you're, when you saw him on the field now, there's no pads and he's a defensive tackle. So it's kind of hard to really give us a, a feel of, of maybe what you saw. But overall, where he comes into this situation is he's a pretty consequential player for the in, inside of this defense, Marcel. Yeah, he looked good, and I, I can start. I can start there. He looked very good, um, and it, it it almost seems obvious to to say because this guy has been in the NFL since 2013. You, you think he's just going to take a and and even before that was playing Division One football, like he, you think he's just going to take a year off and and lounge on the couch for 12 months? Of course not. Like the guy was working. Um, he says that he's only a few pounds lighter than his normal playing weight. It just doesn't look it. He looks so. He looks a lot slimmer, a lot more compact. Um, but as far as impact on the field, you know, he didn't do. He didn't participate in in team drills um, that I saw. I, I believe either day. And McDermott, I think, painted a very realistic expectation for for Star uh, when he was asked about his return, saying like, "Yeah, he's going to have some catching up to do." Like, and I think he. It was a very. It was kind of a you know politically correct stance to take because you don't want to disrespect the guys who were here last sure. year and who who did you know try to do what they could and so that's why he says things like you know you do what you can with who you've got I, I was impressed with what we did last year he didn't want to come in and say yeah this is the guy like he's gonna fix all of our problems thank god the other guys are bums like we got our star back no pun intended nice. but uh i i don't uh so i i think he was trying to temper expectations a bit there but he did say that uh, you know he gives them a point of attack on early downs, uh, and he's he's going to eat space. That's what you know when the whole anti-star movement was going on in 2019. That's what McDermott and Leslie Frazier would tell us is that star he distracts not distracts but he attracts attention from opposing offensive lines and he opens up pass rush lanes for guys like Ed Oliver for guys like even Jerry Hughes and or Mario Addison if they're playing on the same side. I think everybody is going to benefit from a return of Star Little Lele. Um, but, yeah, you know, as far as him not going to OTAs, I'm sure, I'm sure Sean McDermott was a little disappointed. And we've gotten, a quick side note, we've gotten a far more candid Sean McDermott, I feel like, this offseason than at any point um, that I've been here in any of my now three seasons with the Bills. Mm. Um, I, I feel like he's from – criticizing the, you know, or expressing his concern about the locker room to, you know, his outright praise of players to just his a little less veiled disappointment of players not being there, like Star and Jerry and Mario. But uh, in all reality, like I said, Star's been in this league a very long time. I am less surprised at Star not being at OTAs than I was at Vernon Butler not being at OTAs. That was the one that I didn't understand. Was, uh, you know, Vernon, you got a you got a, a lifeline. You got an ex machina right. by by coming to Buffalo <laughs> after sort of flaming out in, yep. in Carolina. You had one good season in Carolina. What are you in his contract year, by the way? Yeah, in his contract year. Yeah, that one was confusing, and nobody wants to talk about that one. I'm less surprised, and I think it's le- it's it's less of a deal that Star was. If Star played in 2020, 
we wouldn't be batting an eye at him not being at OTAs this year. And you know what's funny too is I saw kind of a good it was some of this podcast kind of posted post they they posted defensive line in like three segments, which was like edge interior and one tech like the way that they they sort of and especially when you consider who they have Effie Obeda um Greg Russo Basham like these guys are edge players but can play from the interior so if they carry one maybe two one techniques that's gonna leave a guy like Vernon Butler in a weird position because I think they like Phillips. I think they like what Justin Zimmer did, and they're not gonna carry a ton of one techs on this team because one techs on this team this year they might be two down players. They might be playing on first and second down. You get to third down, I think Ed Oliver's bumping down to one, and I think you're bringing Rousseau or you're bringing Obeda or you're bringing you know one of those guys in to play the three technique, which means there's just not a lot of room to be a big guy on this defensive line. If you get one or two of them on, on a game day roster, I, like you better make what you better take every advantage to get get yourself on film that you can at this point. Yeah, I, I agree, and and not to mention like uh, when we, you know I was looking at the I'm looking at their defensive ends, and we're and we're going based on. Their, their primary position, not where they could play. But uh, based on their primary position, there are six defensive ends that really are making, are making this final roster. Brandon Bean has never kept more than five. There are, so, there are years where he's kept four. So when you look at the locks, the three young guys are locks, Epinesa, Rousseau, Basham, they would, they would have to end a life in order not to make this team. <laughs> right. uh, Jerry right. Hughes and Mario Addison, I think there is a very clear – plan for them. Yep. Hughes especially is a lock. Um, Addison, the fact that he took a pay cut, uh, or yeah, the fact that he restructured his contract, I, I think is is somewhat of a guarantee. Like, yes, you're gonna be you're gonna be on this roster uh, because if not, they were gonna cut him. Like that, I think that's just like with Tyler Croft the other year. It, it's like, a, okay, here you can take your money now and void your last year, or you cannot have a job this year. Right. And uh, so I, I, I think that bodes well for Mario Addison's standpoint. But that's five right there. And I think they love Daryl Johnson. They love him. Yeah. He grew he grew a little bit this offseason. Another lengthy, rangy defensive end. Great on special teams as well. He's right up there with Taiwan Jones and Saran Neal, I think, and Tyler Matikiewicz as far as impact special teams players. So that that's six right there. And then so, so what, they're going to keep ten? defensive lineman, that's going to take from somewhere else on the field. There's a very tight competition at wide receiver right now. A ton of depth on the offensive line as well. Like So a corner as well. So there's like a lot of uh, – I, I think when you look at the defensive line, I think that's going to impact how the rest of the 53 final roster plays out. So i got to get your thoughts on um... – some Matt Milano uh, comments. Matt Milano is talking to the media. Maybe this was Thursday. Could have been Friday. I think it was Thursday. And he was mentioning some of the young guys talking about how, you know, Rousseau and Basham really bringing the juice up front. But then he, he named a player. Nick McLeod named him in his press conference. Was the only player that he, he, he mentioned by name as saying was somebody that, that, that sort of opened his eyes. That that made that that made an impression on him. When you're making impressions on veteran players as a rookie and as a guy that you know, Nick McLeod, I, I, I 
Any thoughts on that and any thoughts on the fact that, you know, you talk about a player at a defensive back position right now, which might be more up in the air at cornerback two than maybe any time that I can remember. And maybe you can respond back to telling me that, Nate, I don't think it's up in the air at all. I think they feel pretty good about CB2. And I think that's probably the case. I just maybe I don't maybe I'm not fully there yet with with cornerback two. Uh Nate, I think they feel pretty good about CB two. Uh, <laughs> I, I think Levi. I think Levi Wallace is a. I've been saying this for years too. Levi Wallace is a high floor, possibly low ceiling starter, though. Like there, I don't think there's any doubt. He at corner is one of those positions, just like offensive line, where like if if people are saying your name a lot, that's not a good thing. Like if you if you're aware of them, it's usually not for a good reason. So I, I think a lot of people remember the negative. And to be quite honest, there's only really one game that immediately sticks out of my head as a, oh, wow, Levi really struggled. They really struggled. And that was Browns in 2019. He got lit up by Landry and, and OBJ. Other than that, I, I feel like he has been a, an above-replacement level mm. starter for Buffalo over the past three and a half years. I, I don't think. You know, clearly, I, I don't think they see him as a long-term fit, but uh, he's like, a, I don't want to say the Ryan Fitzpatrick of cornerbacks, but like, he's a guy that you're, you kind of know what you're going to get from him. I think Dane Jackson has been making a lot of plays throughout minicamp and, and OTAs. It's really going to turn up once you can really check receivers in training camp, once they put the pads on, uh, once, you know, that the speed of the game goes up a little bit. I think it's really important to, to note um, it, it might be by design. I'm not trying to disparage the offense at all, but the offense has kind of been going through the motions mm. for the past month or so, and, and that's just the speed of of this time of year. You know what I mean? Like there's a uh, that's that's where that's why you're seeing things like you know AJ Epinesa batting balls at the line of scrimmage, and, and or yeah, batting balls and picking it off at the line of scrimmage and running it back that's where you're kind of getting a little frustration from Buffalo's offense because one side is going significantly harder than the other. So when both of those start to even out and level out a bit, which is what happens in training camp when jobs are on the line, then let's, let's talk about, let's talk about Nick McLeod. Then let's talk about, uh, let's talk about Dane Jackson or maybe even Rashad wild goose and, and mm. Elijah Griffin. But uh yeah, but it, until then, I mean, it's a big deal. I, I don't know what he's doing behind the scenes. Like, right. Nick McLeod might be a film room savant that that I'm just that we're not seeing, and maybe that's where where Matt Milano's praise is coming from. I don't know. It's it's kind of hard, admittedly, to uh, to extract a lot of detail from Matt. Yo, so, so I, I can only guess that that's what he's talking about. But uh, but yeah, once 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 the real pads start popping, then then let's. Then I'm, I'm I'm more in on uh, on crowning guys as players to watch. Uh, total side note. I mean, I'm going like 180 on you here, and the reason is is because I find this to be one of the most fascinating things of the last half decade of the NFL, which is the Las Las Vegas Raiders and their drafting in the first round. Um, Victor Four of the Athletic this week uh, tweeted about uh, how Ra- Raiders corner Damon Arnett, the guy they drafted in the first round last year, um, is basically been an aftermath and is like playing on the third team defense right now in Las Vegas. Have 
have you do you remember a time where a where a general manager and a head coach like Rudin and Mayock can get the draft so long, so wrong so consistently and still have some of the most secure jobs in the NFL? Like, is there any any other scenario like what we've seen kind of play out so far in Las Vegas? I just I can't even wrap my head around one other scenario that had two incompetent drafters as bad as Gruden and Mayock have been that are never on the hot seat. I don't think so because like uh, because I, I think this that Mayock and Gruden represent a significant egotistical investment on behalf of, of Mark Davis. Mm. I, I think you you broke the bank to get John Gruden, a career average coach with one Super Bowl title uh, with with Tony Dungy's team, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. You're not you're not, by the but, way, you're not uh, mistaken. <laughs> you broke the bank. Ten years, a hundred million dollars to get John Gruden out of the broadcasting booth, and then you get another former broadcaster in Mike Mayock, and you're gonna you get criticized, and you're just trying to. Uh, it, it, it's like when when you have no idea why your friend is, is is dating that person, but you give them such crap for it that they just are stubborn and want to stay with them because they don't want to admit that you're right and they're wrong. So I think that's kind of what we're seeing with with Mayock and Gruden because they just they haven't hit they haven't hit and I, I think trading away a third round pick before the preseason is over is egregiously irresponsible. Yeah, I I, I mean egreg- especially if he pops, which is the reports out of out of Dolphins camp are, is are that this guy can make some moves when the ball is in his hands. So it, it, when he gets a chance, if he pops. Then I, I mean, I, I really had a head or two should roll, but uh, the thing is, they've just been on. They've somehow been on the cusp of the of, of the playoffs the past, I think, couple seasons, especially last season. But uh, I think Gruden might have coached his way out of, of the playoffs, uh, out of yep. a game or two. So you know, I, I don't know what that buyout situation is looking like. That ten-year contract really helps, but uh, or whatever he got. But um, you know, we'll. Uh, We'll just have to see. You know, I, I'm a reformed Raiders fan. I grew up. I uh, grew up. That's why I asked him. They, uh, you know, I, I detached. I was detaching already before I started covering the NFL, and uh, they just really gave me no reason for hope. And I can only root for so many of those hopeless teams. Like I'm already a Sacramento Kings fan, and I'm not abandoning them because that's my hometown. So somebody had to go. That makes sense. It's the them. Raiders. The it Raiders makes sense that it's them. Yeah, it makes sense. All right, man. Appreciate you as always hopping on, giving us some good insights. Uh, I'll be hitting you up. We'll 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 get some chicken here soon. You know, because I'm I'm always in the mood for. By the way, I've got one to introduce you to. So I, I've got. Wait, uh, you, did did you, did you have you had the fatty one yet or no? No. Okay, we're gonna pictures. Man. I'm I'm introducing you to that one. Please do, because I've had Mr. Sizzle for like two days straight, and. Uh, <laughs> I gotta stop before they then learn who I am. Like, right? Yeah, they they, they we we don't have the luxury of wearing masks anymore. So yeah, no, I hear you, man. Appreciate yeah. you, boss, uh, and enjoy the rest of your uh, your weekend, man. I appreciate you as always. Yes, sir. Appreciate you as well, man. Thank All right, buddy. You. Marcel Louis Jacques, ESPN, there on the Western Hotline. I got to take time out. I'm way late to break up. Brian Cozo talking some golf coming up next year on WGR. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on 
and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.